0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show Let's start out tonight by taking a trip back to 1949 Eventually, we're going to play an episode of Dragnet for you but what happened that year? Well, a lot, really. The first network television broadcast takes place as KDKA-TV in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania went on the air, connecting the East Coast and Midwest programming. In uh, January as well, the first Volkswagen Type 1 to arrive in the United States a 1948 model is brought to New York by Dutch businessman Ben Pond. Now, he was unable to interest dealers or importers in the volkswagen so he sold the sample car to pay for his travel expenses only two 1949 models are sold in america that year convincing volkswagen chairman heinrich nordhoff that the car has no future in the u.s type one of course goes on to become an automotive phenomenon. january 20th harry s truman sworn in for a full term as president of the united states Rationing of Clothes ended in Britain. In February of 1949, Arthur Miller's tragedy, Death of a Salesman, opened at the Morocco Theater in New York City and ran for 742 performances. Now, here's an odd one. Grady the Cow, a 1,200-pound cow, gets stuck inside a silo on a farm in Yukon, Oklahoma, and garners national media attention in the U.S. as they try to rescue this poor thing. And then we jump to a Canadian content note here. That was in 1949. The former British colony of Newfoundland joins Canada as its 10th province. On radio, Jack Webb. Well, he was making a name for himself as Sergeant Joe Friday. And that's where we begin with tonight's show, The Spring Street Gang Dragnet. (laughs)
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of
3: long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet.
2: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to juvenile bureau. A rash of crimes has broken out in your city. Suspicion points to an organized gang of juveniles. Your job, stop them.
3: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end... From Crime to Punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action.
4: It was Sunday, March 27th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We were working a night watch out of Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way up from the Juvenile Bureau, and it was 11.25 p.m. when I got to the receiving hospital, room 5, the treatment room. Everything happens on Sunday nights, eh, huh, Joe? Yeah. How's the kid making out, Doc? The one arm is cut up badly. Nothing fatal, though. How'd it happen? That's what I'd like to find out. Can I talk to him? If you want, don't press him, though. He's had a bad shot. All right. <laughs> Officer here to talk to you, son. I can't. Tell him I can't talk, please. Just a few routine questions, Sam. You're going to have to answer them sooner or later. Please, can't you see what's happened already? I can't tell you anything. Jack Monroe, is that your real name? Yeah. How old are you? I'll be 16 next July. Where do you live? I can't tell you, you know that. Now let me alone, will you? Let me alone. You've been running around with that gang of kids on Spring Street, haven't you? The big timers, isn't that what they call themselves? I don't know anything about it. Believe me, I can't talk. You tipped us off about the burglary they were going to pull tonight. Is that where they knifed you?
5: Look, will you believe me? I can't tell you
4: anything, not anything. (laughs) He's still shaky, (laughs) Joe. All right, Doc. Well, Jack, we'll talk about it later when you feel better. You see what they've done to
5: me already? They said next time they'd kill me. (laughs)
4: Juvenile Bureau, Friday. Yeah. Yeah, okay, friend. Goodbye. How'd you make out, Joe? Not very good, Ben. Captain Bowling come in yet? You checked in while you were gone. Wants to see us. Okay. Did the kid tell you who knifed him? No, I scared him good. He wouldn't tell me a thing.
2: Did you get a line on the boy's parents, Friday?
4: I got a hold of his father. He's on his way in. How's the boy? Bad knife wounds. Nothing fatal. You know the boy? Not till this afternoon, Captain. He tipped us off about a burglary a gang of young kids were supposed to pull tonight. Go through? No, but two hours ago, this Monroe kid was found in a vacant lot down on Olympic, cut up pretty bad. The gang must have paid him. How long is it going to take you to break that up? We're just starting to get a line on them, Bob. Must be nearly
2: a hundred in that gang. And every one of them working hard. Take a look at the pin map over here. The spot here, look at it. All the jobs pulled
4: during the last month, huh?
2: The last five weeks, up to date. Red tabs for burglary, must be more than 100. The robberies, green pins, count them, at least 50. And there's five more orange ones I added for the weekend, auto thefts. You bet those kids are working hard.
4: We got a lead on them. That's more than we had last week.
2: You have to push it harder. Here's the big reason. This uh, line of pins, down and black. Purse snatching. Purse snatching and rape. rate, 26 of them in the past five
4: weeks. They're pretty well concentrated in one area here. That's right. Now, what's the lead you're working on? right there on the pin map, Cabin. Huh? Well, these two blocks here, Bob, where Franco Alley intersects Spring Street... What about it? Well, it's the only clear area for a dozen blocks around. There's not a colored pin on it, you see? Yeah. Now, all the rest of the pins, the robberies, burglaries, attacks, they all seem to branch out from this same spot right here in definite patterns, Franco Alley and Spring Street. You figure that's the focal point for the guy. Well, it's got all the mark. For instance? Oh, we've been checking that neighborhood for a week. We got it narrowed down to one place. Right on the corner of Franco and Spring. What is it? It's a soda fountain. It's pretty typical. Only it stays open all night and it gets a pretty good play from kids. A regular hangout, Captain. Pretty tough youngsters. None of them over 18. Who runs the place? A guy named Eddie Ramsey, small-time con man. Had a run-in with him when we worked Bunco Detail. I remember the name. Smart Mouth. Tried to give us trouble when we talked to some kids in there last night. He's got a place set up for him in the back of the store, kind of a club room. He sounds like a good lead. What are you doing about it? Well, just a minute.
2: Captain Bowling. Yeah? Who? Yeah, we'll be right down. Monroe kid, his father's downstairs, cursing every one of us. What's his problem? Can't understand how his boy got to trouble.
4: Come on, Ben, let's tell him.
5: What kind of a city do we have when we can't allow our children out on the street without being stabbed or shot? What's our great police force doing when this is going on? I'd like an answer if you got one. i demand an answer.
4: we got an answer for you, Mr. Monroe. Will you sit down?
5: My boy's lying in there in that hospital bed cut to pieces. What did you do to prevent it? Tell me.
4: You tell us, Mr. Monroe. What did you do to prevent
5: it? I'm no cop. That's your job. I pay my taxes and I help pay your salary.
4: We look out for your kids, but we don't raise them. What are you talking about? Just a minute, Mr. Monroe. Answer me this. How old is your son, Jack? He's
5: 16, I think. Why?
4: You know what he does with his spare time, where he spends his nights?
5: Of course I do. He's at home. Some nights he goes to the library.
4: Then you don't know much about your son, Mr. Monroe. For the past month, four nights out of five, he's been hanging around with a gang down at a soda fountain on Spring Street. He's down there as late as 2 a.m.
5: He says he goes to the library. How do I know? I'm a busy man.
4: Did you know that your son is mixed up with that gang? He's
5: not mixed up with a gang. A
4: bunch of small-time thieves, but they're growing. They started with purse snatching, breaking in parked cars, burglarizing candy stores. You
5: don't know what you're talking
4: about. Wait a minute, please. Then they took up robbery, stealing cars, beating up girls, women, attacking them. You're
5: crazy. Jack's not that kind. He's
4: part of that gang, and right now we hold all of them responsible.
5: My boy wouldn't do anything like that.
4: He's a member of that gang. He told us. They're the ones that knifed him tonight.
5: That's a lie. Jack's not mixed up with anything like that.
4: You believe anything you want, Mr. Monroe. We're going to protect your boy as much as we can, but don't expect us to raise him for you. Or you better take a free piece of advice. You
5: keep your advice. Jack's not in this. You can't prove he is.
4: We're not out to prove anything right now. But you catch up with that boy of yours. Keep him off the streets before it's too late.
5: Are you threatening me?
4: No, sir, advising you. Next time we might meet at the morgue. 1 a.m. Monday, March 28th. A detail of 50 officers from Juvenile Bureau and Metropolitan Division were deployed for 16 blocks along Figueroa Street. At five minutes past one, they started to move south over an appointed area. In the space of half an hour, 18 young kids... None of them over 17 years old were picked up off the streets and brought to the second floor at 1335 Georgia Street, the Juvenile Bureau. Four of the youngsters were girls. At 1.45 a.m., Ben and I checked the soda fountain on the corner of Franco Alley and Spring Street. Uh-huh. Same bunch, Joe. Business as uh, usual. Uh, yeah, come on.
5: Hey, Teddy, the folks, they're back again. Same guys. Go we'll back and tell Eddie Hey, look, why do you guys have to keep
4: tracking us, huh? You'd
5: think we were crooks or something
4: You were here the last time we checked in, Teddy You ever go home? Sure, when I'm tired, I ain't tired uh, What's the matter? That's your money on the table there? Sure, it's my money
5: You want to borrow a buck?
4: <laughs> $28, that's a lot of money for a boy, eh? You keep pretty late hours, son You have to go to school in the morning? Maybe I can sit here, can I? It's free country I'm drinking coffee you gonna make me on that? Hmm? <laughs> You've been drinking more than coffee Where's your driver's license? Oh, every time the same thing <laughs> There March 10th, 1933 16 years old
5: hey, they giving you trouble, Ted Eddie's on his way out What's your name? Jones Clyde Jones Huh, Ted? <laughs> sure He's got money, too rich family.
4: <laughs> you can save the smart talk, boys. Any of your pals in the back room?
5: Uh, what's the trouble now, Sergeant? How many times a week do we get a check? Go ahead, Eddie. Read them off.
4: We told you the last time, Ramsey. Clean up your place here or we'll ride your back till you do. I told you the last time, Sergeant. There's nothing wrong with my place. It's almost two o'clock in the morning. You got a dozen underage kids hanging around here doing nothing. Some of them have been drinking. School boys.
5: Better to have them in here than hanging around outside in the
4: street. I keep an eye on them. You're not the guardian, Ramsey. This time of night, they've got no business in here or on the street alone. That's your opinion, huh? That's the law, Ramsey. Now, either you shut down that back room and keep these kids out of here late at night, or we'll go after your license. You don't scare me, Sergeant. (laughs) You can't prove a thing. A couple of these kids have juvenile records. They're on probation. We can tag you for contributing. You still don't scare me. Now, why don't you leave the kids alone? That's right, Eddie. Read them off. Ben, get Benson and Bell. Roger. If you won't clean up your place, Ramsey, we'll do it for you. Yeah? What are you gonna do? We're pulling these boys in, all of them. 2.25 a.m. Monday, March 28th. The Dragnet operation had netted 30 juveniles. 26 boys, 4 girls. 24 of the children were between the ages of 16 and 17. They were lodged in the assembly room at the Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. The other half-dozen were 13- and 15-year-olds. They were taken to the juvenile hall at 1369 Henry Street. At 2.43 a.m., we met with Captain Bowling. Oh,
2: checked in. 30 of them. All right, in the morning, we filed petitions to have every one of these cases brought to the attention of the juvenile court. Make a note of it. Okay, Bob. For the kids with records, ask for detention from the probation department. Right. We'll call their parents in the morning. Call them now. They've got some explaining
4: to do. By 6 a.m., all but three of the children's parents had shown up. To most of them, it was nothing new. Their kids had been there before, they'd be there again. They took the lecture from the juvenile officers calmly. As long as it didn't mean trouble for them, they wouldn't worry. When they got their children home, they would reprimand them. Not for running the streets, but for being picked up by the police. Ben and I had seen the cycle of the young criminals start before, a hundred times over. It had a lot of different endings. Most of them sour. During the next week that followed, we booked an average of a dozen juvenile delinquents every night. When the clampdown continued, so did the crime wave. Ten burglaries, four
2: robberies, eight car thefts, six person etchings, three assaults on women. One week's work.
4: Picked up a new angle on Ramsey today, Captain. He might be fencing for the game. Hmm. Who gave you the tip-off? One of our informants. Ramsey's brother lives out in the valley. He's supposed to be pushing this stuff. You check him out? Yeah, couldn't get a thing on him. Well, that might explain what attracts the kids to that soda farm. It explains those $20 bills the kids are flashing. They steal and rob, and then they sell a the loot to Ramsey for nothing. Yeah, another thing. Mm-hmm. Ramsey keeps his place open all night, and there's no reason to. He doesn't get that much trade. It's only from a young gang that hangs around there. You question the kids. How do they account for having all that money? Well, most of them say Ramsey lends it to them. They say they pay him back a little at a time. I think he's fencing for the kids. You tried to get his license? No luck, Captain. We can't prove a thing against him. Then we'll do it the hard way. Sweat it out. That night we drove out to Ramsey Soda Fountain and asked him again to clean up his place To keep the young kids out after 10 o'clock at night, to stop lending them money He refused, there was nothing we could do, his business was a public place He could not be held responsible for any of his patrons In the next 10 days that followed, Ben and I haunted the sidewalk outside the soda fountain We questioned every youngster as they entered and left, we made more than a dozen arrests Many of the kids had been drinking heavily. We found some of them under the influence of narcotics. But Ramsey was still in the clear. The crime wave continued sporadically. Ben and I waited for our chance. It was a long time coming. Thursday, April 14th. We had dinner at Johnny Cokin's place, and it was 10.35 p.m. when we checked back in at the office. Hot grab it, Joe. Yeah. The terminal on Market Street, the 459 and shooting. The terminal on Market Street, the 459. And... Let's go. He was approximately 5 feet 4 inches tall, 125 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, slight build, fair complexion. He was wearing blue jeans and a corduroy jacket. We found him between a row of packing cases at the rear of the warehouse at Terminal and Market Streets. There was a single bullet hole on his forehead just above the left eye. There was a 38 revolver near his right hand. The watchman told us how it happened.
5: She broke in the back of the warehouse, Sergeant. She wanted to shoot it out with me. Here's his ID, Corn. Fell out of his pocket.
4: Teddy Cameron, age 15. Dear God. A kid. I didn't know, Sergeant. He didn't either. He thought he was grown up. Los Angeles Police Department, Form 311, dead body report. Type, gunshot. DR number, 437-695. Victim, Theodore Cameron. Residence address, 960 Charter Street. Date and time of death, Thursday, April 14th, 1035 p.m. Place, Terminal on Market Streets, South State Warehouse. Cause of death: gunshot. Motive or reason: attempted burglary. Time discovered: 10:40 p.m. Removed to county morgue. Discovered by Carl Heiber, night watchman. Identified by Barbara Cameron. Sister. Description of victim. Male. Caucasian. Age 15. Height. Weight. Uh, occupation. Student. Descent. English. And a witness. Mm. Signed. Joe Friday. Serial number 2288. Age 15. Ready, Joe? Hmm? And Cameron, boy, sister. She's waiting in oh. the next room. Yeah, yeah. Let's go. She taking it hard? Yeah. Morning, Miss Cameron. Good morning. We won't keep you long. Just a few routine questions. Yes, all right. Miss Cameron, how many are there in your family?
6: There were three of us: Teddy, Mike, and me. Mother and father are dead. I work. Teddy and Mike go to school. I mean, Mike, Ted.
4: How old is your brother Mike, Miss Cameron?
6: He's 14.
4: You're the sole part of your two brothers? Yes. Do you have any idea who the boys were your brother Ted used to run around with?
6: I don't know them by name. I remember seeing a couple of them once or twice. Mike would know, I think. He and Ted were pretty close brothers.
4: Do you know if Ted mixed with a gang of kids down on Spring Street?
6: Maybe Mike would know that. Sergeant Teddy wasn't a bad boy. He wasn't a bum. None of us are. I tried to raise the boys like you told me. It wasn't easy. We made out.
4: Yes, I understand, Miss Cameron.
6: My salary didn't have too much, but we got by.
4: Yeah.
6: I figured on getting married. I'm 31. It'd be good for the boys, especially Teddy. He's dead, isn't he? Yeah. Couldn't be in two places at once. Hold a job and watch the kids. That's why I thought maybe a husband...
4: I'm sorry to press, Miss Cameron. Do you think your brother Mike can tell us about that Spring Street gang?
6: I'll mark it now.
4: Where can we find him?
6: Staying at a friend's house. I've got the address in my bag. Here. That's 2514. I don't write numbers too well.
4: Thank you, Miss Cameron. You've been very helpful. I'll get somebody to drive you home.
6: Or do I have to go? Would it be all right if I just sit here for a while?
4: That's all right.
6: I'm tired, real tired.
4: Twenty-five, fourteen West Serrano Street. That was the address Barbara Cameron had given us. It was the home of Mister and Missus Jean Brewer, high school friends of the dead boy's sister. We talked to Mike Cameron. He told us that his brother Teddy had been running around with a gang down on Spring Street. He identified Ramsey Soda Fountain as the hangout. It was 2.25 p.m. when we got back to Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. Hi, Guy. Okay. Juvenile Bureau, Romero. Yeah, hold on, I'll call you. Joe. Thanks. Friday.
5: Joe, this is Canfield
4: and Burglary. Yeah, Homer. You
5: are working that Cameron case, aren't you? Yeah. I just got a report on one you might be
4: interested in, out of the same neighborhood. Distillery prowl. What do you got on it? Looks like a juvenile M.O. They got away with seven cases of scotch whiskey. Expensive stuff. Okay, we'll hop on it. Bubeck Warehouse, Crocker at 7th. Miss Elizabeth Rice was the auditor in charge at the Bubeck Warehouse. We located her on the mezzanine office row. It was her job to keep a running inventory on all incoming and outgoing liquor stock. She knew her job well.
7: As you know, Sergeant Friday, each and every bottle of distilled spirits carries a United States Internal Revenue stamp. Yes, ma'am. Each stamp carries a serial number together with the name of the firm to whom the stamps are issued. Well,
4: Miss Rice, in the stuff is missing, the stamp on each bottle carries the case number. Is that right?
7: That's right. Now, what did I tell you? Oh, yes, I have it right here. Seven cases of high-grade blended Scotch whiskey. Now, I have a bottle identical to those in the missing cases. Yes, I see. Now, if you'll just look here. Yes, ma'am. The number on this... Stand up here. 368 227 nine, nine, followed by the firm name.
4: Uh, could you give us the numbers of the stolen cases?
7: Yeah, I have them typed out for you right here. Seven cases, 12 bottles to the case, Canada Dry Incorporated, four of the red label and three of the back label, Johnny Walker.
4: All right, thank you very much, Miss Wright.
7: And you think that this might be a juvenile case, Sergeant?
4: Yes, ma'am, we do. Seven cases, that's close to $600, isn't it?
7: We've lost a great deal more than that, Sergeant. The insurance company makes up for the liquor loss. Yes, ma'am. Those youngsters, who makes up for them?
4: Ben and I left the Bubeck warehouse with a list of serial numbers of the seven cases of stolen liquor. We headed back for the juvenile bureau. We figured that there was a strong possibility that Spring Street Gang was responsible for the warehouse liquor theft. How were they disposing of the stolen property? That was the key question we had to answer. Ben and I had a hunch and a tip from an informant that the young gang was operating under the guidance of a fence a man or woman whose job it is to dispose of stolen property. The gang members were close to Ramsey at the soda fountain. Ramsey, the logical suspect. All right, now well, suppose they did steal the liquor. Rose Ramsey's fence. What's he done with this stuff? I don't think he's turned it this fast. He's turned it at all. He wouldn't keep it at the soda fountain. No liquor license. And we've been around too much. He wouldn't keep it in his house. He lives in the rear of the fountain. That's too hot. Only leaves one other location that we know about. His brother's place in the valley. It was five minutes to ten when we turned left off Ventura Boulevard onto Sepulveda. Ramsey's brother had a small farm about a mile and a half off the highway. It was a modest white frame house planted squarely in the center of an acre of ground. An unpaved driveway led off to the left of the house to the garage. Pull up here, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it looks kind of quiet, no lights. Let's go. Oh, mud sticks to everything. Now, where's the doorbell? Oh, here it is. You got your flashlight? Yeah, what? Here's a note somebody left. Oh, it's on the bum again. Here, I'll strike a match. Okay. Can you hold it a little closer? Can you read it? Yeah. Harry, wife and I have gone to the drive-in theater. Before you put the truck away, get three. Can you hold that match closer? Oh, no, wait a minute. Yeah, get three cases out of the garage and take them into town. Ed is waiting. Please try to make it by 11.30 tonight. Let's see, it's signed George. The address is here. And there's a the garage. Yeah, come on. Three cases. Could be eggs, Joe. If it is, we wasted a trip. Oh, I'm out of matches, Joe. All right, here, use mine. What was that? Checking. Come on. See anything? No. There goes the light. Just a minute. I'll strike another one. You can save your matches. We found it. We found five cases of scotch whiskey on the floor of the garage. We checked the serial numbers against the warehouse list. They matched. We went back to the car and called communications. We had an immediate stakeout placed on George Ramsey's place, and then we headed back to the city. It was 11.20 p.m. when we got to the address we found on the note. It's about time, Harry. Hello, Ramsey. We can do without the music. What's your problem this time? You're almost out of scotch, Ramsey. Serial numbers check out, Joe. Sorry I can't offer you a drink. We're too old to drink here, aren't we, Ramsey? Where's your phone? You want to invite somebody? You can see we're out of booze. You got a phone? In the hall. Ben, call the office. Yeah. All right, what's it all about? We have been out to your brother's place. What happened to the other two cases? You drink them here? I gave it to the kids. What are you looking at me like that for, Sergeant?
8: Anything wrong, Eddie?
4: Party's over, kid. The story you have just
2: heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect
3: the innocent. On June 5th, 1949, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 74, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. Edward and George Ramsey were tried and convicted in Superior Court of receiving stolen property. After serving their terms as prescribed by law in the state penitentiary, they will be returned to the county jail where they will serve a one-year term for contributing to the delinquency of minors. You have just heard Dragnet, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the Office of Acting Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department
2: honoring the city of Greenwich, state of Connecticut, and the men who make up the Greenwich Police Department, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Chief John M. Gleason, FBI National Police Academy graduate, who dedicates his life to making yours more secure.
5: The team of cigarettes, the best of long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from
1: Los Angeles. Stay tuned for Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Edgar Bergen to pick up that wooden dummy he paid 36 bucks to have a woodcarver create for him. Although we all know Charlie is a dummy, I'm sure you, like me, will be convinced that he's a real person.
9: of Chase and Sanborn Coffee and Royal Puddings bring you the Charlie McCarthy Show! <laughs> this is Ken Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen, greeting you on behalf of Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, Ray Norfolk, and his orchestra, Anita Gordon, Mortimer Snerd, Pat Patrick as Ursula Twing, Alan Reed, Jack Mather, and our special guests, Walt Disney and Donald Duck! <laughs> come to you from Pasadena, California, where we've just seen a preview of Edgar and Charlie's new picture, Fun and Fancy Free, by Walt Disney, which will have its world premiere in New York City on September 27th. And here are Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy.
10: Well, Charlie, what did you think of the picture?
11: Oh, boy, great, great. I give it four bells. (laughs) Why, you clumsy butterfingers, you. (laughs)
10: That man is true. All right. uh. Well, I love the title, Fun and Fancy Free. You'd love anything that's free, (laughs) (laughs) Bergen. Well, frankly, my chest is sticking out with pride. Yeah? Yes.
11: Your stomach is even prouder.
10: Yeah. Dolly, what do you think of, of your work in the picture? Oh, please, no. I can't. What?
11: Oh, you, you know how darn easy I blush. Oh. oh, why must I be so cursed with all this talent?
10: All right, all right. Well, there were others in the show besides you, you know. There was Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck.
11: Well, Max, every picture has to have extras.
10: Yes, I know.
11: Yeah.
10: And there's also Goofy. I say, did somebody call me? No, no. no. <laughs> uh, no. Ray, where's Mr. Disney? Well, he'll be right back, Ray. Oh. Ray, don't you think we should show Mr. Disney our gratitude with a, a little speech of appreciation? Yes,
8: that would be nice. I think it'd be
10: nice, yes. Hmm? Make him happy, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could tell him one of my uh, dreadfully droll witticisms. No. Uh-huh. It's, it's, oh, this one's about a kangaroo.
12: Yeah?
10: Yes. If only I could remember the paunch line. Oh!
12: do <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
11: oh,
12: oh, you get it?
10: That's what's known as a foolproof joke.
12: Yes,
11: yes.
10: yes. And you're just a fool that can prove it, too. <laughs> Ray, where do you get those awful jokes? Well, Edgar, I, I just drop in at the barbecue place down the street. They're oh. always good for a few ribs. And now, that's... <laughs> yeah. Now, Charlie, what about this speech? I, I don't think it's necessary for both of us to give one. No, no. So I think I'm going to let you do the talking for me.
11: Uh, me do the talking for
10: you? Yes. Yeah. Well, now, that's an interesting switch. <laughs> yes.
11: Yeah.
10: Now, let me hear what you're going to say. Now, when you speak, you, you must speak from the diaphragm. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I have spoken. You know. <laughs> and remember, you must be convincing. The best orator is one who can make his men see with their ears. uh uh-huh. Yes, yes. Now, when I talk... They listen with their noses. No, no. no.
11: <laughs> well, go on with your speech, Charlie. Well, how is this... Uh, uh, let's see, uh... Uh, fellow convicts. No, 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 no. I thought I was in
10: school. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you are, Edgar. Well, Walt Disney. <laughs>
12: <At>
10: Donald Duck. i <laughs> Well, Edgar, how
11: did you like the picture? Mr. Disney... It behooves me to say that it was an honor, a great honor to work
10: for you. Oh, Charlie, that's nice of you.
11: An honor, I might say, I richly deserve.
10: Well, I hope we have the pleasure of working together again.
11: That would be nice. Mr. Disney, I can do the same thing for you that I did for Bergen.
10: Oh, no, thanks. I like to keep my hair. (laughs) (laughs) Walt. I thought you did a splendid job in that picture. Are you kidding? He wasn't even in it all. (laughs) But don't you think Donald Duck gave a sterling performance? Sterling? Well, that's silver.
11: I think of him more on the pewter
10: side. (laughs) But didn't you like Donald in that role?
11: The the only role I'd like him in is a casserole. (laughs) (laughs) Look at the way he wobbles. <laughs> Reminds me of Bergen coming out of the
10: shower. Oh.
12: oh. now, Donald.
10: I'm sure that deep down inside, Charlie likes you very much.
12: Ah.
10: Uh, or what?
12: Ah, uh, monster. <laughs> well, now
10: let's not start that. Uh, don't you don't you have something nice, Donald, to say to Charlie?
12: Oh okay. ah.
13: <laughs>
11: Stop it. vineyard delinquent, I'll snatch you ball
10: tails. Now, Charlie, in. let go of his feathers. Let go of his
12: feathers. <laughs> oh,
11: now,
10: see, Charlie, you Perkins. you pull some of his tail feathers out.
11: Okay, I'll stick them back in. There. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> why, you long island entree, you. why don't you fly south?
10: <laughs> Now let's not quibble about who was the best performer. Ray, who do you think contributed most to the picture? Uh, well, not merely because I wrote some of it, but
0: I rather like the music, especially the song that goes like
10: this.
0: <laughs>
12: Oh,
13: well, Mortimer,
10: hmm? here we are again. oh, 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 You and I. oh, oh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Yep, well, that's the way it moves. Yeah. Just like I always said, uh, always said, you know. Yes? (laughs) Well. Sure. You said what? Oh, I said, um, I've always said it, uh. what is it? Uh, see, I don't know, you know. I guess I don't say it no more, I
12: (laughs) You saw the
10: picture. Were you satisfied with your role? Um, hmm? <laughs> Did you enjoy the picture? Oh, but it sure was scary. Scary. Oh, well. Wow. Martimer, only very stupid people are frightened by a motion picture. Oh. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure I can qualify. it. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it was the big giant that frightened you. No, no, it was that other fellow there with the pigeon-toed eyes. Pigeon-toed eyes? Yeah. Looked like his face was buttoned on. Buttoned on. (laughs) Well, now, who in the world could that have been? Mm -hmm. Scary person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Well, describe him. Well, some of the teeth stuck out so far. It looked like he swallowed a rake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Blonde hair? Yeah. Cross-eyed? Yeah. And he had buck teeth? Yeah, that's all. I'm beginning to see the light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good morning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you know the person's name. No. Well, now think. Mm, no, I do Well, well it was Mortimer Snurge. Well, give me a better hint than that. <laughs> Mortimer, you were in the picture. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> Well, I'm it. Yeah. I hope seeing yourself in the picture isn't a disappointment. Well, I, I know that I was homely, but I... Didn't know I was so good at it, Lord. No. Well, don't let it upset you. No, I can't help that it's me on the screen like that sort of... sort of destroyed something fine in me. Oh, I see. What? My appetite. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, uh, the, the photograph, my bad side. Your bad side? Yeah. Which one is that? Why my the my all nice surely, Mortimer, you knew you were in the picture. What did you think we were doing at the studio every day under those lights? Mm-hmm. Oh. Charlie said we get the front Yeah. Charlie was ripping you. Why, if Charlie told you black was white, I bet you'd believe it. Oh, see, uh was right, black was white like white, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, ain't it? <laughs> Ah, you certainly have more than your share of stupidity. Well, 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 it's your story. Then we'll have, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Ah, Mortimer, there's only one Mortimer snare. Brown. Brown.
8: Friends, yes. uh, Friends, I have come before you. Uh, you have.
12: Uh,
8: well, I haven't exactly come before you either, because uh, you were here when I arrived. Yes. <laughs> but would
10: you mind telling us who are you?
8: Well, I, uh, I am from the state of uh, Iowa. From Iowa. Well, out here, who isn't? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. I, But I am from Pinpoint, uh, Iowa. Point. Yeah. Well, really, it's really, uh, it's really uh, East Pinpoint. Oh, yeah. oh. Yes. A suburb. Yes. And uh, I understand that you had a showing of the new uh, Walt Disney picture, right. and it's about Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes,
10: yes. Yes, we did. Uh, what about it?
8: Well, why, why didn't you invite me? <laughs> 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 we were afraid you'd accept. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what I want to know, Smarty, uh, well, I-, I want you to know that, that I am just plenty hot under the collar. Well, wow. that's good. Yeah, because you ain't so hot above it. <laughs>
12: uh-huh. uh,
8: young man, uh, I'll have you know that I am an uh, exhibitor. Exhibitor? That's uh, right, uh-huh. yeah. and I, I represent a chain of two theaters.
10: Well, well. <laughs> well, we must be nice to an exhibitor, Charlie. Yes.
8: And I have my finger on the pulse of the people, too. Now, <laughs> fresh thing. Uh huh, right. And why, just last week they were complaining.
10: Yeah, no quality in the picture? No, no butter on the popcorn.
12: Oh.
10: <laughs> you don't mean that your popcorn is more important than the picture? Oh, I don't. Well, I mean, do you? Well, for goodness yeah. sakes, my gosh, I do. You do, yeah.
8: yeah. <laughs> why, last week we had a 2,000 bag picture. Really? <laughs> I took my wife uh, to see it, and we ate popcorn all through the best years of our lives.
12: <laughs> and now you
8: can spend
11: your remaining years drinking water. Yeah. <laughs> well,
8: what I want to see uh, is if this uh, Disney picture has uh, popcorn appeal.
10: Popcorn appeal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be glad to tell you about it. Oh, you will? Oh, I'll well, <laughs> sit over here. Good... <laughs> uh, now, um... The story opens in a beautiful little place called Happy Valley where everybody was happy they were always laughing and <laughs> loving <Always. laughs> Pardon me sir but why are you crying in Happy Valley
13: I just moved here from Pasadena oh, I... <laughs>
10: Well nearly everybody was happy in the valley because of a beautiful golden harp that us and play.
11: Oh, come on, come Gordon, that was the golden harp. No wonder they were happy.
10: Yes, but one day, one day, tragedy struck. From out of nowhere, a fearsome giant swooped down on And carried the singing harp away.
11: Oh, no, no, help! Get the FBI, get Dick Tracy. Can do something.
9: Calling all cars. Be on the lookout for a giant wanted for kidnapping a hot girl with red hair and... <laughs> that is all. <laughs> that is not all either. Here is an important announcement. We come to the table for nourishment, of course. But uh, <clears throat> it's the flavor of our food that makes eating a pleasure. You've always loved Royal Puddings for their rich, smooth deliciousness. You love them doubly these days of high food prices because they cost so little, only a few pennies a serving. And what a hit they make. Royal Puddings taste not just delicious, but more delicious, say women who use them. Yes, when 1,052 Royal users told why they switched to Royal from other popular brands, 8 out of 10 said Royal Puddings taste more delicious. And you'll agree when you try Royal Chocolate pudding such luscious, chocolatey flavor reminds you of fine, rich milk chocolate. So smooth, creamy, textured, and easy to make. So no wonder women buy more royal puddings than any other kind. Get royal puddings tomorrow. No need any longer to put up with flavorless wartime brands. Insist on genuine royal. Remember, eight out of ten say royal puddings taste more delicious. Yet they cost only a few pennies a serving.
12: (laughs)
10: And now to get back to the story...
11: Yeah, well, first, wipe the pudding off your mouth. All right.
10: (laughs) The singing harp was gone, and Happy Valley was no longer happy. Poverty and desolation came to everyone. They had just paid their taxes. (laughs) The poor people, the poor people were starving, starving starving. Bergen, just tell it. Don't ham it, all
8: right. Uh Oh, friends, Uh, this is going to be uh, just peachy for popcorn sale. Oh, yes. Thank you very much. Uh,
10: And now comes the most tragic and dismal part of the story. I thought we just had it. No, no, no. Yes, we did.
8: I've been just sitting there uh, whimpering and sniveling until my eyes are like little tiny
10: red beads. (laughs) Yes. Well, there were three poor farmers who were desolate. All that stood between them and starvation was their cow. Won't take long to eat through her. <laughs> oh, now,
8: now, just a moment. I, I hope you're not going to kill that poor, poor
11: cow. No, no, they won't kill it. They're just going to take it to a used cow lot.
12: <laughs> <laughs> Operated by
11: Madman Moose. ear.
12: <laughs>
10: That's true. But the used cow man was out of town, so they talked to his wife, Emma, about a fair deal.
8: Well, what shape was she
13: in? Well,
10: she was the type who should never wear slacks No, no
11: Or do you mean the cow?
10: (laughs) All right Oh, it was a sad moment Her big brown eyes flooded with tears As she stood there chewing and drooling
8: Uh, Who, Emma or the cow?
10: Both of them All right (laughs) So when the woman said to the cow She said Are you a good milker? And the cow said, Yes (laughs) ma'am. And would you favor us with a quart of milk? No. (laughs) And why not?
12: I'm not in the mood. (laughs) Uh,
8: A a, a talking, a talking cow? (laughs) Yes. Why that's utter nonsense. Uh.
10: So they traded a cow for three magic beans and planted the beans in the ground. My word of all places. Yes. Yeah. And the magic beans started to grow. Up, up,
11: up, and up. Everybody fasten your safety belts, please. <laughs> and then one by one they started to climb up the bean store. <laughs> oh. Oh boy, what a climb of that beanstalk. I, I, I'm all out. I'm all out of breath. Me too.
12: My too. <laughs>
11: My
8: word, look at that magnificent car. Let's go in. Yeah, let's go in.
12: Ooh, kinda spooky. That sounds like the stolen narc girl. Let's go
11: singing.
13: <laughs> love. Oh, darling, Charlie, my hero, you've come to rescue me.
11: Yes, we have. Oh, poor Miss Harp. Let me take you in my arms. Oh, you tickle. I'll hold you a little closer. Yes, oh, I, I held you too close.
13: Oh, what's that? What's that?
7: That's the horrible giant. You're not afraid, are you?
11: No, I always have lavender skin. <laughs> <laughs> five
13: o
12: four. Five.
13: I smell
12: the blood of an English bird.
0: Oh, but really now, please don't. I? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so, Scotch
10: anyway. I'm so a you yeah. see. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh.
13: B five o four. four. Oh, oh, what happened to Fun? He's with Abner. Oh, I'm glad you came. You're just in time for dinner. Oh, thank you. In fact, you'll be my
9: dinner.
11: Yeah. Oh, no, no, not that. Oh, sir, have mercy. Why do you want to eat a scrawny little boy like me?
9: I'm on the Clark Gable
13: diet. <laughs>
11: Well, if you let me go I'll give you this
12: little duck for a pet.
13: Oh, I like little pretty ducks.
12: Oh.
13: And I have a nice warm place for him to stay.
12: Oh.
13: In
5: my oven. <laughs> Don't you know no one's allowed up here on this beanstalk? What are you doing here?
13: We, we just came
11: to borrow a saw and an axe to chop down a beanstalk to get rid of a big nuisance. Oh, well, in
13: that case, I'll help you. Yes. Here is the saw. Thank you. And here is the... Yes. What
12: beanstalk?
13: <laughs> Come here, Come you. me
11: free, Donald. Come on down to beanstalk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my pants! Stop sawing! Stop sawing! Well, <laughs> Wow! Chunky little rascal, wasn't he? <laughs> What a story,
13: huh? And what a picture. Uh, yes, but it, will it sell popcorn? Well, oh.
10: <laughs> yes, Charlie, I guess next Sunday will be Betty Hutton.
11: Very hot and woody coming to see me. What a max that'll be. What do you mean? The blonde bombshell meets the red-headed blockbuster.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night we wrap up the week with the Green Hornet followed by Fibra McGee and Molly. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is
0: proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.